Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. We're going to read a scripture from 1 Kings 19, 1 to 9. At the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll respond, thanks be to God. The reading is from the book of 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 9. Verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he went himself a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. Verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. You know, I thought they couldn't do it again, but that song for the word was uh, it was something, and you know, it almost has wet the ground for me to preach, or it has set me an impossible target to actually. Uh, but thank you, music team. I will thank you for that reading, and uh, good morning to all of us who are here, um, especially for those who are coming for the first time. My name is Femi, and we're so happy that you choose to worship with us uh, this morning in our second service. And uh, if you've not been around in a long time as well, we're so happy to see you. All right. Um, I think because, you know, just as first service, again, I still feel the presence of the Spirit of God here in a very unique and special way. So I want us to quickly just ask that he remains with us. Ask that he continues to move among us. I feel that this message is absolutely crucial specifically tailored for someone or people here today. And I am absolutely limited to be able to bring this word. Only he is worthy. Only he is worthy to open up the scroll of redemption. Holy Spirit, we ask that you show Jesus today. I pray, Lord God Almighty, that you would open up the scroll of redemption and preach and bring deliverance and healing to someone here today. In the name of Jesus, I pray, O God, that whatever darkness, O God, has taken anyone captive, that you will light them up by your power in the name of Jesus Christ. Move so swiftly and move so powerfully. In our midst, in Jesus' name we pray. I also want to welcome those who are uh, watching uh, online and maybe you're just tuned in now. Uh, Welcome. And we want to get into this message Um, But let me, you know, indulge me a little bit. I like, my favorite pastime is music, listening to music. And and sometimes I like to go a bit further back. You know, my taste goes a bit further back. It makes people 
misdiagnose how old I am, but I would like you to know that I listened to a lot of music before I was born. All right, okay? Nowhere near as old as Yemi that is here. He knew it was coming you are, because of the way you are looking at me. When you think about some of the best singing duos of all time, who comes to mind? For some of us, we say something like, P-square. <laughs> but some of us that go back, we say, Junior and Pretty. Who knows Junior and... Uh, junior and... Uh, hey, yeah, Junior and Pretty. Some of us don't know. Monica, 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 don't kill me. If Monica don't kill me, I know you, can't, you don't know those ones. Somebody said, uh, BB and CC Winans. Yeah. Uh, we are in church. We are in church. Amen. Amen to that. When I think about the greatest American ones, the greatest American one, I would say it's, and, and everybody has their opinion about the things, I have the facts. My opinion is fact, as you know. Right? The greatest American singer of all time is a group called Simon and Garfunkel. Right? Simon and Garfunkel. Yes, they started from the 60s. I wasn't born in the 60s. All right, but when I think about their greatest song, possibly their greatest song, is a, a song called The Sound of Silence. The Sound of Silence. Beautiful song, can go and check it out. And actually, there is, it's not often that I think that I cover is really good, but there's this group called Disturbed. When you hear Disturbed's take on, on Sound of Silence, it's absolutely marvelous. Now, I haven't said that. That song, I'm very curious, the song has a very curious opening. Very curious opening. It's always made me think. You know how it starts? It says, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. And I'm like, who opens up a song with darkness? And how is darkness an old friend? See, it's not just that it's a friend. It's an old friend. One that he's been very familiar with. Most of us don't like songs or stories that end in a bad note. So you think, okay. If this one has started in this way, hopefully it's going to end on a very good note, right? It's going to end on a very good note. It doesn't, but it doesn't end on a bad note the same way it started. It, start, it ends with a sort of prophetic warning that if you continue to live life in the way, you know, it was, the song was describing, then it, it, it has an ominous end. But again, you know, just like we said, you know, our favorite is not Simon and Garfunkel, it's Bibi and Sissy. Why not? Because we are Christians. And so we have the Bible, and we know the Bible always gives us a happy ending. In fact, the songbook of the Bible gives us happy endings in the Psalms. It often starts with some kind of tension, but it always ends, you know, in a good way. Because weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so a typical example is Psalm 88. How does Psalm 88 start? The, the psalmist is crying out for the help of God. Crying out for the help of God. But why is he crying out? Because he's overwhelmed with troubles. He's overwhelmed with troubles and his life draws near to death. I don't know if that describes you this morning, where you are overwhelmed with troubles. And so because it's the Psalms and because it's the Bible, we know how it's going to end. From verse 3, we go to verse 18. And how does it end? Darkness is my closest friend. What? Darkness isn't just an old friend, as Simon and Garfunkel said, but darkness is what? The closest friend. And therefore you think, like, what kind of ending is that? You know, the truth is this, that for many of us, whether Christians or not, many people even who are watching, this is very consistent with the reality of our lives. Darkness isn't just an old friend, but darkness is the closest friend. Darkness isn't just at the beginning of your experience, but it is the way your experience ends. I'm talking about many of us who are caught in this horrible thing about mental illness. Most uh, particularly talk about depression. And you know, that's such a topic within the Christian fold that we've not always done well with, even though we ought to know better. Because think about the theology of a human being that we get from the Bible. It says that we are made body and spirit, that we are made with the outer and the inner. It's not that I am a spirit that has a body. No, you are body and spirit. That which is seen and that which is not seen. And that which isn't seen not only connects you to the spiritual, the spirit aspect, but that which isn't seen also has the emotional and the mental part. Now, we know the darkness that comes when we have physical illness. We know the darkness when we 
have entered into sin and we experience spiritual darkness. So why is it that we have a problem when we think about the darkening of the soul? Maybe you've never experienced it, but I can assure you because I know some of the people in this church, there is such a thing as that and we ought not to immediately dismiss it. But if the theology is so much for you and you think, oh, well, you know, putting all of those things together, perhaps you can listen to a man of like passions like Elijah. Because Elijah, in the passage we just examined, is not a man that is physically sick, but is a man who is experiencing the darkness of his soul. The darkness of his soul. Elijah will tell you at this point that darkness isn't just an old friend, but darkness right now is my closest friend. And maybe you've walked in or you have tuned in, and that is the situation you find yourself in. I want to tell you this. Not only does Elijah identify with you, but Elijah is here to speak to you because Elijah will tell you that God does not allow you to live in that darkness alone. Do you hear what I am saying? And in this moment, I pray that after this sermon, you will be able to say this, that darkness is no longer my best friend, but Jesus is my closest friend. I pray that at the end of this, that whatever darkness you find yourself plunging into, you will see that there is such a light that can light up your darkness. And that's why we've titled this sermon, The Darkness of the Soul. And before I tell you how we're going to go about it, I do want to put out a disclaimer here that there are sometimes some causes... Um, that would require much more than someone speaking to you in this way, would require some kind of professional help. Some causes are so physiologically wired into our brain that I am not trying to go above my pay grade. But I also tell you this, that the vast majority of reasons why people are in depression is actually social and spiritual things, and we intend by the Spirit of God to address them today. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to look at this sermon under three headings, facing the darkness, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the darkness. Facing the darkness, pushing back the darkness, and lighting up the darkness. So let's start facing the darkness. Now we're in chapter 19, um, but chapter 19 comes after 18. And if you have been around for the last couple of weeks, you know what happened in chapter 18. After chapter 18, you had the fire, the rain, and the slaughter. Great victory for Elijah. He has just brought down fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice. He has brought back rain after three and a half years is coming. He slaughtered all the false prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. And guess what? You will not blame Elijah for calling his agent and saying, please, can you quickly book that hall? Because not only are we about to have a revival meeting in Jezreel, we are going to have the revival after party. Because after that kind of victory, what do you expect? There was only one small problem. Jezebel had not heard about what happened. And Jezebel was one mean... Sorry, we're in church. She was one mean woman. And when Jezebel heard from her puppet king what had happened, Jezebel proved, uh, or she demonstrated why she not only wore the pantyhose in that palace, she also wore the pants there as well. Sorry, by pants is the American for trousers, so just... And first of all, people start thinking something else. All right. She told, sent word to Elijah. If all you did to those people, if you last one more day, if I don't do it to you, ah, my name is not Jezebel. And what did Elijah do? He stood before, no, he ran. He ran for his life. (laughs) Smart guy. And then not only did he run for his life, he then says in verse 4, he entered into suicidal depression. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And which some people would then say, this is why I don't believe the Bible. That doesn't make sense. Because it doesn't square up with Elijah of chapter 17 and chapter 18. How is it that somebody who has seen provision by ravens, provision at the ravines, somebody who has seen supernatural provision with the widow of Zarephath, somebody that has called down fire from God, from heaven, somebody that has shut down the rings and then brought it back and now has slaughtered these prophets, how is it that that person immediately falls into this kind of state? And that is the first lesson you must learn about mental illness and depression. It is not obvious who it targets. I don't know if any of you have heard of the name Chris Hodges. Anybody? Not for people that are in the first service. Anybody ever heard the name Chris Hodges? Raise the hand up if you are online. Yeah, Chris. Not that we can see. Chris Hodges, by most people's account, is a very successful man. By most people's account, he's a very successful man. And when I say that, I, I don't I mean it really. 
You see, in two, 20 years ago, Chris Hodges in 2001 started a church, um, uh, Church of the Highlands, with 34 people. 34 people. As of today, somewhere between 55,000 to 65,000 people attend that church every week. It's probably the largest church in America. A very successful writer as well. He has a wonderful family. Everything is going on well for him. He struggles with debilitating depression. I mean, it's public with it. He even wrote a book out of the cave. He has seen countless victories of God over and over and over again. He's spoken about how he has preached, gotten people saved, and immediately went back and he was actually just crying. He was just so dark in depression. If it can happen to Hodges, if it can happen to Elijah, then it can happen to anybody that you know that is successful. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that is why as Christians, we must replace our confusion about this matter with conviction about it. And we must replace our condemnation towards people that are going through this with compassion. Are you hearing? But then how do we face it? How do we help people to face it? Well, it first starts with us describing what it is. You see, I don't know if you've ever entered this crazy thing that often happens. When a new word sort of enters the culture and everybody sort of jumps on it. You know, everybody wants to. One of my favorite ones is, is everybody wants to be street now. Everyone wants to be street, you know. I don't know why, but, you know, it just seems cool to be street. And then I heard some people in this church, they feel like they're street. They say they're street. And let me tell you, to be street is not because you listen to two songs of Zlatan and Bilal. That's not how you become street. And it's the same thing. Everybody is depressed nowadays. We're all depressed. The way your boss spoke to his brother on the phone the other day made you depressed. The fact that you weren't invited to that event has made you what? Depressed. The fact that that lady that you asked to go out with you didn't follow you has made you what? Depressed. The fact that Arsenal are playing in the way that they are playing has made all of us what? Depressed. Somebody said, no, no, that one, that one actually is a little bit. But the truth is that you are not depressed. You are not depressed. And let me tell you this. If you, every time you go to a pool, you keep shouting, I am drowning, I am drowning, I am drowning. The day that you are truly drowning, nobody is going to believe you. And if everybody goes around shouting, I am depressed, I am depressed, I am depressed. When somebody who is truly depressed says, I am depressed, will never be able to spot that person. Depression isn't just that because you are sad. Depression isn't just because you are tired. Depression isn't just because you are stressed. These things may actually contribute to it, but it is something deeper than that. It is a state of being where we lose the motion, the motivation to do the things we naturally derive pleasure in or lose the motivation to do the things that we feel a disposition of duty towards. A loss of motivation. To do the things we naturally derive pleasure in. A loss of motivation to do the things we feel a sense of disposition of duty towards. That's why Chris Hodges in his book actually says that it's characterized by four things. Grief, disappointment, hopelessness, and purposelessness. Grief, disappointment, helplessness, and purposelessness. In other words, he's saying that you enter into intense sadness, grief, that is triggered by some kind of disappointment. And when that has happened, it renders you powerless to pursue any kind of purposeful activity. It is literally the darkening of the soul towards mental and emotional paralysis. I love what uh, uh, Rich Wilkerson, who is a pastor in Miami, says. He describes it this way. It's a very, very vivid description of depression. He says, it is both being scared and tired at the same time. It is the failure, it is the fear of failure without the urge to be productive. It is wanting friends and hating socializing. It is wanting to be alone, but, but hating being lonely. It is feeling everything at once and feeling immediately paralyzingly numb. Total loss of motivation, which is why when you feel in that way, the people that you actually find are like Elijah, at some point you withdraw until you enter into the darkness of the cave, literally. I am telling you, I've met many people who have been depressed and they love to stay in the darkness. Why? Because darkness is their closest friend. The darkness in the soul is then shown out in the darkness in their room or darkness in the places that they dwell. I don't know if there's somebody that is like that, or experiencing that right now. Maybe somebody that is here and saying, Jesus, where are you? 
Am I still beside you? Because everywhere seems so dark. Because there is a darkness in your soul. Can I tell you what Elijah will tell you is this, that God has not forgotten you. You see, Elijah went away into the wilderness, but Elijah didn't call upon the name of the Lord. No, but God was still there to find him. Whilst he was asleep, the angel of God came to him. And after a while, when you thought that, oh, that was it, you know what happened? He was asleep a second time. He says that the angel of the Lord came to him a second time. And then when he was in the cave a third time, the angel of the Lord came and gave him the word of the Lord. God has not abandoned you. And so let me offer you six things that you can do. If you are going through a current phase of darkness or this is something you struggle with, and please never forget them. These six, six things will help you. I've seen them help others. First of all, accept that it's a process. Dealing with this thing, accept that it is a process, not an instant thing. Accept that we are running a marathon and not what? A sprint. For many of people that say, oh, the, you know, depression, this, uh, 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 just cheer up. As though that's the way it is. Or don't worry, I know somebody that can pray for you that will cast out the spirit of depression. There is no such thing as the spirit of depression. We are on a marathon, not what? A sprint. Second thing is this. Accept. Be honest. And this sometimes is the place where most people stumble. And it is largely because of how it is viewed in our society. No one wants to take the shame on it. But that's why we pointed out that you don't have to because we are already physically sick and we accept that. We don't see any shame in it. But if you don't accept it, it's going to be a problem. You know why? Because you cannot address what you are not willing to confess. God cannot heal what you decide to conceal. So accept it. Third, to really show that you are truly, you are truly honest, speak to somebody that you trust. Speak to someone that you trust about it. Right? That shows that you are not keeping it yourself. You are truly accepting. And then the fourth thing. The fourth thing is absolutely crucial. And this is what you need to do. You need to investigate the underlying cause. Now, you do that with a professional or somebody that is spiritually wise and mature in this situation. Because yes, there may be some brain issues that go with it. But sometimes, or maybe you just think of some bereavement issue here. But sometimes it's some underlying causes. Whether they come from our childhood or whether we are going through it and we don't know that that thing is absolutely affecting us. A few years ago, someone came to me. Someone close to me came to me and said that he's not been sleeping. I said, ah, you've not been sleeping. Okay, fine. You know, Sometimes we have this period where we don't sleep very well. I said, how long? He said, he's not slept in almost three days. I said, ah, all right. He was admitted. And after he was admitted, they put him on some kind of drug. I've used this drug before. How many of us know what is called amitriptyline? All right, let me tell you about amitriptyline. They gave him 25 milligrams of amitriptyline. And you're like, eh, 25, what's there? When I take amitriptyline, I take the 10 milligram version, not 25. Then I divide it into three. Then I take one, and it knocks me off for 12 hours. They put him on 25 milligrams of amitriptyline. He barely slept two hours. They made it 50 milligrams. He barely slept three to four hours. They knew this problem was huge. They didn't call it a spiritual problem. They sent him to a psychologist. And when they sent him to a psychologist, after they talked for a while, they realized that he was dealing with deep anxiety about an issue, about the fate of certain people that he loved. And he was deeply seated. He had told me about it, but both of us never knew this thing was actually really uh, causing him to feel that sense of anxiety and depression. And said, then you are clinically depressed. And so they started to speak about it and speak about it. And eventually, no medication whatsoever. The guy started sleeping again. Are you understanding what I'm saying? There are some underlying causes you need to investigate. And you should ask God to open up your eyes so that we can see some of those things. Amen. And that is then linked to the fifth thing you must do. The fifth thing is this. And maybe this is the most crucial one I want to tell you. Have a rock-assured belief that God has not abandoned you. That God has not abandoned you in your darkness. That God, you see, the angel of the Lord not only came to Elijah, but he touched Elijah. God is going to touch somebody here today. The angel touched Elijah. God has never abandoned you. And you say, how? How? You say God keeps coming over and over. But me, I cannot see where God is. 
I can't see. In fact, all I see is darkness. What do you mean that God is working in my situation? You have to understand this, that you see, when we live our lives, we live our lives in moments, periods, stages, and seasons. Moments, periods, stages, and seasons. I'll give you an example. Quite often when maybe uh, people in church or people outside church come uh, for counseling on this issue, I find out that somebody, you know, is in that powerless state. They've been having a crisis. So I ask them, sit down. How long have you, what's been going on with you? Like, yeah, it's just so bad. I'm in a dark hole. How long has this been going on? And I'll say, well, like maybe two or three days, you know, they're experiencing a crisis. I'm like, wow, it's really bad. And you, know, you just empathize with them and all of those things. What are, I ask, what have they tried? They've done this. They've done that. Confessed the promises of God. Da, 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 you know, please be careful how you confess the promises of God. Okay. None of those work. And so they just feel like God is absent. And then I ask them this. When was your last crisis? And I said, oh, my last crisis was about two, three months ago. Two to three months. I said two months. Then I said, before that one, what was the previous, when was the last one before that one? And I said, ah, maybe three, four months ago. Three, four months ago, I said, wow. At that point, I'm already jubilating. And they're wondering, why is this person jubilating? I'm already jubilating. You know, I said, when did we start talking about this thing? He said, oh, we started counseling three years ago. I asked, how frequent was it happening then? It was happening two to three weeks every time. Do you see what's happening? It has moved from occurring two to three weeks, every two to three weeks, to what? Every two to three months. When you think that God is absent in the, in the moment and in the period, God is actually working in the stages and the seasons. When you think that you are not experiencing victory in the moment because of the intensity of the moment and the period, you can speak to the darkness and say, darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk to you again. Because when you think that you are winning, you are just winning the war in the small parts, the moment and the period. But I am winning in what? The stages and the seasons. Yes, it may feel so intense. When the thing happens in the moment there, it's more like I just want to die. Nothing is happening well for me. I don't, you know, all of those things. But actually, if you count over a period of time, you will see that God has, has been working and working and working. Even as that songwriter said, even when I can't feel it, you are working. Even though I can't see it, you are working. Why? You never stop. You never stop working. God is always working and he's here to touch you today. Don't allow your life to be defined by moments and periods. I allow your life to be defined by the way God is working in the stages and the seasons of your life. And for you to do that, you must now do this sixth thing as a proof that God is actually working. You know what it is? Don't lose purpose. Don't lose purpose. Now, yes, it is trying to debilitate you, but what it stops you from doing, what the enemy tells you is this. You are without power. You just need to keep laying down and nothing can happen to you. That is when you pick up a call and call somebody to encourage them. He says, no, you are useless. Nobody cares about you. That is when you decide to be generous to someone. Do the kind of things that give you momentary joy at that moment. Why? You are trying to declare to the devil that I am winning in the stages and the seasons. It's at that point you sign up to actually serve in church. It's at that point you sign up to actually encourage and advise people. And then you say, how is it, family? You don't understand. How is it that light can come out of my emotional darkness? How is it that life can come out of my emotional death? Have you never heard... That the bones of Elisha was able to give life to somebody that was dead. It was because God was working in Elisha's situation. Even in your darkness, God is able to bring out light. Because you are winning in the stages and in the seasons. To put these six things together. I am not saying that guarantee you will be totally delivered for him. But here's what I can tell you. You will be experiencing more victories than you can understand. I am talking to somebody here today who is in darkness. You are not going to be in perpetual darkness. God is actually calling upon you. God is actually touching you this day. But then some of us, as I said, not everybody is clinically depressed. Some of us say, my own is just, it's not that bad though. Just that sometimes, you know, black, black, they touch. <laughs> and it's true. Because let me tell you something, I move to the second point. Pushing back the darkness. They are about mental illnesses. It's really like on a spectrum. You see, like malaria. Some of you, every time you are testing positive for malaria. Yeah. But you are still at work. 
You understand? Is there small positive here and there? Then some of you, you get the kind of malaria that, you know, there's temperature, maybe you miss one day at work. But then if you get the kind of malaria I used to have before, God has delivered me, I've not had malaria in how many years. But my own malaria is called cerebral malaria. You know what cerebral malaria is? You have a 50% chance of, of living. It's a spectrum. And many times with mental illness also, we are on a spectrum. And you can slide from a mild version into what? Into a severe one. And so the question is, how do we then stop ourselves, push back the darkness from actually becoming one that is so thick? Because, let me tell you this, mental illness is becoming the number one major health problem all around the world. It kills more people already than cancer does. And then there has been, researchers have noticed a spike in the last 10 years of mental illness cases. You know why? In the last 10 years, antidepressant prescription has tripled. For some of you that don't know matter, what I'm saying if, it, if, they used to, if they used to prescribe 10, it has become 30, not 13. Uh, I mean, many of you here got F in maths. That's what helped them. It's tripled. And this is a global phenomenon. And stuff like that doesn't happen just because of some kind of massive event that is localized. When I say it's not like, sort of like, a, like the Biafran war that maybe can get the whole of the Igbo community depressed. It's not like 9-11 that is really America's thing. Do you understand? It's a global phenomenon. So what happened that triggered this thing? Or somebody may say a global economic thing. We've not had a global economic uh, recession since 2008, 2009. So that's not happened in the last 10 years. And besides, a lot of people that have been affected by this thing are the Gen Zs who have never worked before. So they don't even know what the effect of being a little bit, you know, not having uh, 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 money is. So what has happened that is affecting people? Because what we need to do, if we need to tackle that thing, you will see that that thing actually, we have to tackle it at the physical, at the social and spiritual level. So what thing can we point to? Is there anything, I tell you, research has brought one thing. It is not political, it is not economical, it is technological. And what is that technological thing? It is a combination of the mass penetration of the smartphone and the mandatory adoption of social media. Permit me to talk about this in the physical, social, and, 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 uh, and spiritual, but I'm going to talk a little bit scientific, if you like, because this is a deep problem. The mass penetration of smartphone and the mandatory adoption of social media happened within the last 10 years. You say, ah, smartphones, you know, it's not when Steve Jobs was famous black, turtleneck, and put it, that was 2001, yes. But Blackberry was still more popular than the smartphone at that time. It was towards the 2010 that now became... Most people now started getting smartphones, Samsung, all of those things. You see, social media was around since 2004. Oh, no, but it took a huge turn. As the algorithms became more addictive from 2011, 2012, such that when they did research in, in certain high schools in America, and they said, just before that time, how many high school students were on, on, um, on, smartphone, on, on social media? 50%. After I did that during this period, you know what it is? 85%. It is virtually mandatory. Who is in on social media here? Even though you, yeah, you don't want to. You're all on WhatsApp. We're all on WhatsApp. It's, it's somebody that is like an alien. Somebody that, that is not like a human being. That is not on WhatsApp. Do you know anybody like that? Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Put down now. You people self. The, the mass penetration of the smartphone and the, ma and the mandatory adoption of social media. How does it affect us in the physical first? And we'll talk about a solution. And then we'll go to the spiritual and the social. Physically, first of all, notice what it says about Elijah in verse 5. It says, Elijah fell asleep. He lay under a, the bush and he what? Fell asleep. You know the difference between sleeping and falling asleep? You know. Just like loving and falling in love. Just put that one. When they say somebody fell asleep, you know, you fall into sleep. That is, you are totally exhausted. You know why that happened to Elijah? Check out verse 4. He had been sleep deprived for 24 hours. He did not sleep for 24 hours. He went on a wilderness journey, a day's journey. Wilderness journey, he did not sleep. He was deprived of sleep. Friends, one of the biggest problems that we face and we don't even know right now is, the sleep, is our deprivation of sleep. There is a chronic 
deprivation of sleep that we have all experienced over in all the cities of the world. Let me tell you, do you know what happens when we sleep? I'm going to go a bit scientific today. Do you know what happens when we sleep? First of all, one of the things that happens like, is total literal rejuvenation. So your cells, when your cells work throughout the day, right, based on the food that, and the energy that you're giving it, it's giving you a lot of good things, but actually produces a lot of toxic byproducts. And do you know where they are stored? In your brain. And when you sleep, those things are flushed. When you sleep well for a, a period of time, the, the recommended period of time, those things are flushed. When they are not flushed, everything goes haywire. Second, do you know that your cardiovascular system, your cardiovascular system is basically overhauled. Your DNA is literally repaired. Your immune system is literally recharged when we sleep enough. And so you can imagine if all of these things are not happening because we are not sleeping well enough, what do you think is going to happen? Exactly what's been happening. A lot of physical problems that we never experienced before. And so now you are more susceptible to getting things like hallucination, high blood pressure, uh, 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 which one am I missing? Uh, 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 inflammation in our bodies. And you said, I'm trying everything not to get fat. Sorry. But it's also linked. Linked to hormonal imbalances. Linked to obesity. Linked as well to diabetes. Because we're not getting enough sleep. And you will think, get the video ready, you will think that with all of this, so, you know, maybe we'll talk a little bit more sensibly about sleep. Do you know how we talk about sleep? This is how we talk about sleep. My life was so good, I didn't want to sleep. I slept for two, three hours a night, I had a blast. I feel like I function fine on four to five hours of sleep. When things get really intense, I don't have time to go home and shower and change stuff. So. Yes, he said that one. People sleep. He said, people, let me just tell you because he just lied there. He said, people who are rich don't sleep. Let me tell you the people that sleep the most, people who are rich. Yeah. Causing physical illness. Do you know that if you are sleeping less than six hours a day regularly, you are four and a half times more likely to get a stroke? More and more younger people are having heart diseases. More and more younger people are getting strokes. Why? Because of our sleep problem. This is a serious issue. I'm not playing about it. And that's just how it affects us physically. How does it affect us mentally? I can tell you straight away, research has shown, our learning, our learning doesn't help. It doesn't, is not helped when we don't sleep enough. We are meant to get a, a seven to eight hours sleep. Our children are meant to get 10 hours sleep. Many of us, our children sleep at 11 p.m. and you wake them up at 6 a.m. And you wonder why they are, they are not doing well in their homework. And you say, I'm paying all this money. You are destroying the thing that you are paying for. Our reaction time is no longer fast enough. Our memory, and I talked and listened to this from somebody who has a sleeping disorder. You know, myself would be like, but Pastor, we said this thing last week. No, Pastor, you are the one that did. I say, eh, are you, are you serious? I'm the one. Memory starts to get lost. And then, very crucial for this discussion mood. Mood. Your mood is like moo. <laughs> And you know what's happening there? Let me go down deeply a little bit again. You see, in your brain, you have something called the prefrontal cortex, and then you have the other thing called the amygdala. Now, what are they? Forget the names. One is the control center of your brain. The other one is the emotional center of your brain. The control center of your brain and the emotional center of your brain. Now, doing what we call REM sleep. What's REM sleep? You have two stages of sleep. Two stages of sleep. One is non-REM. The other is REM. What's REM? Rapid eye movement sleep. Rapid eye movement. So during your non-rapid eye movement, the beginning part of your sleep, that is your deep sleep and your light sleep, certain things happen. But in the REM, which is the latter stage, that is why you, where you have creativity that is restored, where you have planning that is restored. Have you never had this expression? You say, let me sleep on it. And when we sleep on it, what happens? You wake up and you have solutions. And what do you think that is something that's happening in your brain? Many of those things have been restored. That's why all of a sudden you wake up, solutions come up, creativity comes up, and you are wondering why you are not creative enough. When you are going to bed at 8, 1 a.m. and waking up at 5, and you're saying, ah, I don't sleep enough. I do, but you know, you're saying it as far you are boasting. Another thing that happens in Ariam, remember, Ariam happens at the latter stages. So even when you are getting five hours of sleep, you say it's enough. No, what you've done is not that your, your sleep is now split evenly um, in the five hours between the non-REM and REM. Most of the REM comes at the latter stages. 
And so that's why you can sleep and still wake up being tired and still not able to get things quickly. But back to the prefrontal cortex, uh, cortex and the amygdala. Remember I said one is the control center, the other one is what? The emotional center. The prefrontal cortex, there's a link between the two of them. When we don't get enough sleep, at least about 60% of that link is severed. And so now the emotional, the emotional part of our brain is not being controlled by one that is more rational. So now when you, you broke the egg, the plate, and your wife just started screaming, you didn't give her enough sleep. That's just the truth. We become more impulsive. We become just more reactive. We become more moody. When you compile this over a period of time, little wonder many people are asking for antidepressant medicine. And you say, what does this have to do with social media and the smartphone? I'm glad you asked. Your phones produce a blue light that tricks the brain to thinking that it is daytime when it's still at night. You see, there are two hormones that help us to wind down, that tell us that we're asleep. One of them is melatonin. The blue light from your phone prevents melatonin from coming. So have you never felt like, I am about to, I feel a bit tired during this day and summer, and then eight, nine comes, and then all of a sudden you wake up again. You just feel like you can do stuff. You start start working again. What is happening? Your brain does not believe that it is time for you to sleep. And so, eventually, when we can't sleep, what do we do? We go back to the smartphone again. We keep checking people's stories over and over and over again. And they say, why are you not sleeping? You've heard the talk here. You've heard the talk. You say, hey, because I cannot sleep. And you're still on the smartphone. You are saying, I am dying. And you're taking the pill that is giving you death at the same time. And then you say, oh, 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 if I put an anti-glare, something that can prevent the, 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 the blue light. First of all, it doesn't completely take it away. One. Two. Most of the content that we we view when we are on our smartphones are active content. We don't view passive content there. So it stimulates our brain as though we are still working. That is why you cannot shut down. Elijah was deprived of sleep and this was part of the thing that was contributing to his problem. May God deliver us from our foolishness. So how can you help? What can we do? Well, put the thing down. How about that? And what is very painful about this, we may be laughing, but you're hearing all of this thing, and this is the bondage that we find ourselves in. Three days after hearing this thing, you go back to your old ways. It's not a curse, so I leave that off. Yeah? There's nothing. But we need to wake up. Put it down. But let us be more strategic. I put a message about this. It was in a techno the technology uh, a series in the last year, Rewired. Listen to the second message. I put out some some tips that we can, uh, you, can, you, you can employ there. But here's one thing. I didn't tell you that time because I wasn't doing it. I didn't believe that it was possible to do it and really live. Do you know what it is? You know what it is? I turned off all notifications. Now, why I didn't tell you to turn off all notifications is that I had this informed think, uh, thought. If I turned off all notifications, uh, the world was going to end. So last time I checked, the world hasn't ended. A, a few people may be offended that I didn't respond to them on time. But do you know what? My inner self is actually, it's like, hey, there's a notification just coming. You know, you're just trying to, something just comes. You're, you're trying to pray. You're saying, something just comes. You're right now, right now, right now. You're looking at me and there's something that buzzed on you. Like, I need to check it. All the time, we're impulsive. Turn off all notifications, nothing will happen. Plan your life in terms of a way, strategize that you can have 30 minutes, maybe in three, in every four hours of your day, and you can look at the notifications. Someone is not saying that you should become a hermit. One is saying, allow these things to serve you, not for you to serve them. They are excellent tools, but they are bad masters. But in terms of sleeping, because you know, it says Elijah went and slept under the bush. I mean, he didn't just sleep anywhere. He actually looked for right conditions to sleep. Let me give you four tips that come from a lot of brain scientists and neuroscientists. Now, all of these things, it's not like I know. I was just reading brain scientists, neuroscientists, and psychologists. Here are four things you can do, right? Look into four of these things to help you sleep better. Regularity, temperature, darkness, wind down. Let's start. Regularity. We need to be regular with our sleep. Have a fixed time and sleep for seven to eight hours. When I say fixed time, you sometimes... You sleep 9.30 today. 
Tomorrow, then you're not going to sleep one thirty. Then the, you know it's like, what is the worst thing we have? We we we. What's the worst thing in a relationship? Hey, uncertainty. You know, babe, where do we stand now? Today you call me boyfriend. Tomorrow now you are saying, I'm not even sure where this thing is going. The other one next time you say, ah, you'll be the father of my kids. You know that kind of thing. What kind of, what, what are we doing? We are tricking our brains with that too. Nine o'clock, 1.30. Our brains are meant to, let, um, to function in a 24-hour cycle and things need to be fixed. And so partly when it is irregular, this is why we are not sleeping well. So make it fixed. Get eight hours, seven to eight hours. Second, temperature. Actually, even though some of you are cold here, actually, it's good, to, it's, it's good to have the temperature to be cold when you're sleeping. Rather than hot. They said that uh, uh, it should be about 18 degrees. I know some of you will know, but fine. But I should address some of you. You have money for one AC. You went to go and put it in your sitting room instead of your bedroom because of your visitors. Move it there. And in fact, to make the visitors not even stay too much. Third, Darkness. Apparently, we are meant to sleep when it is night time. <laughs> and so, trying to put darkness, like short, start dimming the lights in your house as it starts getting into the evening. And actually, it is better to sleep with the lights off than with the lights on. You don't know, I'm solving many people's marriage problems right here now. <laughs> you don't even know whether I'm solving my own. <laughs> Baby, hear the voice of the Lord. <laughs> anyway, darkness, or maybe use a, a, a face, uh, well, sorry, night mask. So you say, oh, but how will I, how will I wake up? Hey, I, I use my phone to wake up. I put your phone outside the room, or put your phone outside the room. I say, oh, but my phone is my alarm clock. I want to recommend something to you. It's called an alarm clock. You can buy it. <laughs> you don't need the phone. And then the fourth thing is wind down. Wind down. You see, part of the problem now that we have, everybody's shouting, hybrid, 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 hybrid. Yeah, it's good. You know what hybrid is doing? There's no start time to work and there's no end time to work. And so many times, like, I'll, I'll go to bed in 30 minutes. Did you hear yourself? You are on the screen. You are doing a lot of cleaning work. I'll go to bed in 30 minutes. You cannot. You actually cannot. So you need to wind down. Many people have recommended that you should not be on screen between one and a half to two hours before you sleep. So do something that doesn't stimulate your brain. Apart from the thing that's bringing the blue light, you can read a book, not an e-book. Read a, an actual book. Spend time with your family. Do certain things to wind down so that you can get your sleep. You see, when Elijah, when Elijah was asleep, that was actually when the angel was able to touch him. Let us repair these things. Amen? But what happens at the social and the spiritual? I want you to notice one thing that he said about Elijah. Very, very important. After hearing about Jezebel, what did Elijah do? He said that he ran, he went to a place, then he left his um, servant. <laughs> then he went to the wilderness, right? What was he doing? He was running away for what? His life. But after he ran for his life, then that was when he then said, ah, Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. You know what's happening? Elijah was running for physical safety, but he ran into emotional danger. From physical safety to emotional danger. Listen, do you know that we are in the safest period in, in history? Like we are safe, and we are raising the safest generation ever. Like everything is safe. People are, homicides are gone down. People are not killing. Fine, I know kidnapping and everything, but people aren't killing. Kidnappers want money. They don't want blood. Do you understand? People are not dying. And some of the other reasons is this. You know, medicine has gotten better. Um, you're not having, even when you're having car accidents, people are improving. You know, actually, never believe it. Even in Lagos, people are improving their driving. But also, the cars, most cars, most even Tokumbo cars now, they're buying. Everybody now has airbags. Do you understand? So things have improved. And there are other things. But why are children safe? Yes, all of those things matter, but there's one other factor that is really huge. Why our children are in the safest generation? You know why? Overprotective parents. It's true. And how do we protect our children? I'll tell you one way. Just think about the arenas of play. For some of you who didn't grow up in Lagos, and for those who grew up in Lagos, you know, just look at how we play. Now, for those of you who grew up outside of Lagos, right, you know when you used to play at some point? You used to play in the woods. You used to play in the bush. For those of you that are in Lagos, we used to go and play in a... Uh, what is it now? It's true. Bush. Not bush. Eh? Oh, the bush. 
If I said that one now, you would not be saying that. Ah, is it only Lagos that is not Kenyan? All right. So since you said you used to play in the boat, in the boat, you used to play in the. As some of us used to play in the parks in the city, right? We used to climb whatever. Our parents didn't even care where we, they just knew we were playing or whatever. Okay, he moved from the public place and then he moved eventually moved to the backyard. Don't go out of this place, oh, backyard. And then after the backyard, he moved from the backyard now to the living room because now we have li uh, uh, video games. But and I can also you know shield you from all those bad gangs, all those bad children, and only bring in the clean children. But after a while, all the children were bad. So he moved from the living room to the children's living room, and then it has moved from the children's living room into the children's bedroom. Your children are absolutely safe, but they are interacting with nobody. And we are created to be social beings. What we are doing with our children is exactly what we are doing with ourselves. We are created to be social beings. And so the less that we are interacting with people, what's happening to us, our emotional stability is actually dwindling. Are you understanding? We are moving from physical safety and isolation is bringing us into emotional danger. And then you say again, what does that have to do with screens and social media? Everything. You know why? Remember, when Elijah said, take my life, what did he then say? He said, because I am no, I am no better than who? You see what he was doing? He was comparing himself to people that he can never interact with. No access. You can't talk to the ancestors. When we retreat into our isolation centers, what do we do? We get on our smartphones and we start interacting with people that we know. We, people we don't know. Kim Kardashian doesn't know you. Justin Bieber doesn't know you. But you look at their lives and you keep saying, hey, look at me. Even the one, your, your high school association, all these people, you say, see what this, people, this person is. Oh, I was doing tutorial for this person. God, when? All of these things. We, we are constantly comparing ourselves to unexpected, un, uh, uh, un, um, um, uh, unrealistic expectations. We are comparing ourselves with so many different people. And you wonder why you are in that mood. So you are not sleeping. You are constantly on social media. And you keep going, going, and now say, why am I feeling depressed? Hello? These things are controlling us. And you see, this is connected to the spiritual problem. Because what was the biggest problem in Elijah's day? They had, pro they had Baals. Baal is not one God. Baal is a compendium of gods. There are different Baals for anything you want. And so here we can see that our Baal of approval is being fed. Our Baal of control is being fed. Our Baal of comfort. Our Baal of sex. Our Baal of power. All of them are in that small thing. Because it's taking absolute control over you. Whilst you are not sleeping. This is why antidepressant prescription has gone up three times. So what can you do in that? Well, two things that you can do really quickly. Solitude and community. Solitude and community. Now, what do I mean by solitude? Let me tell you. You must know the difference between solitude and isolation. They're not the same thing. What is isolation? Exactly what Elijah did. Isolation is running away for your life. What is solitude? It is retreating to enrich your life. You see, when he went and God started speaking to him, all of a sudden, when the angel taught him, he was not speaking to God. When he was isolated, that's when he started shouting, hey, take my life. All of a sudden now, God, the word of the Lord was coming to him. You need to practice solitude. And this is what, this is the advantage of what, of, of, of planning your life, like planning your week. I talked to some of the people that I mentor, that you have to have a weekly strategic plan. Where do you put actual fellowship with God. If you don't, what's going to happen is you'll be saying, you know, it's true. It's true. I should do this. I should do this. And they are saying, you're doing that. And you're saying, I should do this. Practice solitude with God where you can hear the voice of God because it is there you slaughter the idols. And then it is then you start to see that God is the true God. It is very possible for Elijah to actually slaughter all those prophets. Everybody says the Lord is Yahweh. The Lord is Yahweh. Listen, you can believe that the Lord is Yahweh and still be controlled by Baal. And so it is in the place of solitude where you say, Yahweh, please, this is me. Baal is still getting to me. This approval is still getting to me. You see, when that person spoke to me in that way, I didn't like it. I was too proud. You slaughtered the idols. And then you truly say, not just what they are saying outside there, that Yahweh is God, but you are the true and living God. Practice solitude. The second one is true community. We speak about community a lot here. I just want to bring out one thing. Somebody close to me was telling me about how they were in a dark place, dark place. And I was, I was thinking about it. And I said, this person is big on community. And then I noticed something, and it's very small. For all of us in community, please, you need to go one step further. You need to go one step further. What is it? We talk a lot about vulnerability. 
But I noticed, I said, this person only comes to meet me when everything has fallen. Only when everything has fallen. And I said, ah, this person speaks a lot about community, but this person is invulnerable in community. You know why? Because there's a difference between vulnerability and transparency. You see, what is transparency? Transparency is when we speak, when we reveal something that is important and personal about us, something that should be revealed, but we are comfortable with it. Vulnerability is when we reveal something that is absolutely crucial, that needs to be revealed, but it's something we are uncomfortable with. Did I say uncomfortable? Sorry, transparency is when we reveal something we are comfortable with. That needs to be real. So if I come and I say, like now I'm preaching, I say, ah man, you know, one of the God is delivering all of us. Even myself, I struggle with workaholism. And I do. But you see, that was not hard for me to speak about. It's bad, it's a sin, but in our society, it's not really seen as that. It's a different thing if you call somebody and say, ah, I'm a pastor, but I'm struggling with porn. Hey, before you even called, you were already struggling. And you now say, some people come and say, I, I should say this. I, I don't know. Me, I will. You, let me call. I'll say it. That person, that's what you're uncomfortable with. Now you're truly being vulnerable. We should not allow ourselves to get to this place of deep darkness and depression before we call on our brothers and sisters and say, look at where I am. Practice true community. Amen. It is in these ways that we can start to push back the darkness. So that we don't enter into deep darkness. I've spoken first about how people who are already in the deep darkness can start to face it. But I'm also speaking with some of us. Don't allow yourself to actually spill into this. Take control of your life. Don't allow devices to take control of you. Amen? Well, finally, that leads me to my third point. Because somebody is going to say, I hear you, but... Can I be honest? Is it that God doesn't see? Is it that God doesn't see? I'm hit by ev at every corner. Bass, ghosts, beasts, bass, here and there. Just as I'm trying to recover from this one, I know that one happens. I know as I'm trying to recover from that one, as I'm trying to, I know that one happens. Yes, I know that God was good to me in the other time, but now it's not lasting. Somebody's saying, and, the, and you see, in the darkness, the debilitating darkness, there's something else that happens. I am hearing voices. Voices. They keep coming to me, telling me how bad I am, how unaccomplished I am, how worthless I am, how unloved by God I am. Yes, I said it. I feel unloved by God. And I want to tell you right now, all the things that you just said, yes, all of those company mechanisms, they are good, but they cannot help me. This darkness is so thick. It's not just, you know when it says that darkness has covered the earth and thick darkness, the people say, I am in thick darkness. And just telling me about all the victories that I've had before is not going to be enough. I need something else because I don't think I can come out of this. I have done all the Christian things. Nothing can help me out of this. Which I'll say, I can't say I fully understand. I've dealt with anxiety. I've had panic attacks before. Never had deep depression like this. But I can tell you this. If you spoke with Elijah, a man of like passions, he'll tell you, don't give up on God. You know why? There are different types of light. But there is a light. There is a light that can actually quench every kind of darkness. There is a light that can light up every kind of darkness. Elijah will say, God has it. And he wants to give it to you. Amen. And he said, what are you talking about? You see, when those people spoke to me the other time, yes, he helped but for a moment, but it hasn't happened. And let me say this, if you are not a Christian here, this is where in this context, Christianity offers you something more than anybody can offer you. There is no other place. This secret I want to give you, there is no other place you can get it except Christianity. At certain points, at certain places of darkness, listen to me, what you need is to remember the covenant voice of God. The covenant voice of God. Say, so what do you mean? What plunged Elijah to where Elijah was? You know what it was? Partly it was the voice of Jezebel. The voice of Jezebel came to Elijah. She sent with a messenger 
So the messenger of Jezebel brought the word of Jezebel. Now God countered that by sending the messenger of Yahweh came with the word of Yahweh. And what did he tell Elijah to do? He says, Elijah, it was your, on your own accord that you came from Jezreel, your place of anticipation, to Beersheba, your place of disappointment. It was on Elijah's own accord. But all of a sudden, God came at Beersheba and then says, Elijah, this is not your final bus stop. For some of you, where you think you have come to now in trying to deal with this, this is not your final bus stop. I'm telling you, this is not your final bus stop. God still has something else. You see, the angel of the Lord now said, Elijah, you are not going alone. You are not going to stay here in Beersheba. We are going to Horeb together. So what's happening at Horeb? What's happening at Horeb? Listen, there are times when the mountain and all the things that you experience at the mountain of Camel will never be able to help you with the wilderness of Beersheba. You need to go to the mountain of God at Horeb. Sometimes we look back at some of the ways we have done things in the past or some of the things that other people have done. But there is a point where there is something you need to remember that is deeper than coping mechanisms. You need to remember the covenant voice of God. So you say, when we went to Horeb, what then happened? What's at Horeb? Why was it called the mountain of God? Well, that reminds us not just of Elijah, the great prophet, but another great prophet before Elijah. It reminds us of Moses. Because at the Mount of Horeb, when the children of Israel had been brought out of, Sinai, out of Egypt and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, it was Moses alone that went to the Mount of Horeb. What happened there? That was when God made a covenant with the Israelites to say to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt. I, you will have no other gods but but me and God established a covenant with them to say that you are my people you are my treasured possession there are certain truths that we need to hold on to that only those truths can bring the light of God's uh, the light of God's word to us you say oh yeah but how does that connect to us I'm not a Jew that's why I want to take you to another sacred mountain. You see, on that sacred mountain in Matthew chapter 17, guess who was there? Elijah. Guess who was there as well? Moses. But you see, at that point, the voice of Elijah was not most important and the voice of Moses was not most important because there was a third person that was there. And at some point, God said, forget Elijah, forget Moses, forget the victories of the past. They will not help you to stand in this place. There is one who is my son, in whom I am well pleased. You need to listen to him. His name is Jesus. And you say, what does Jesus bring? What does Jesus bring to me in my darkness right now? I've heard the name of Jesus before, but listen. This is what Jesus offers because on that mountain, Jesus was trying to show something. He said that you are going through a deep darkness now, but there is the deepest darkness of your soul. The deepest darkness that brings you into eternal condemnation. I have done something about that. And if I have done something about that, do you think I cannot shine in your own darkness right now? Jesus is saying that on the cross, I suffered the eternal darkness that you should have taken and I have brought out light. And you say, Jesus, are you sure you can deal with the light of my, of my problems? Listen, if we are in a room and there's deep darkness and there's no light, we put on a candlelight, what will happen? It will light up that place. Just that place that we are standing in. But if they bring the light, it lights up the room. But if we go outside and it is dark, what do we need? We need street lights. But what if we wanted to light up the world? What do we need? We need the sun. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. When they looked up to Jesus, what did they see? They didn't see somebody who shined like a candlelight. They did not see somebody who shined like a streetlight. What did they see? They saw somebody who shone like the sun. I am speaking to somebody today. He said, do not be afraid. Look up to him. Why did he say, do not be afraid? He said, only revere me. Don't be afraid of anything. Don't be afraid of the darkness. Only revere me for this is the promise to those that revere him or to those that revere my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings may the lord bring his healing rays upon you right now you see at the time where things are so deep we can't go back to Carmel. we must go to the mount of transfiguration where jesus establishes covenant with us if you are in that darkness today let me tell you one thing from the one who shines like lightness with light 
He says to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Larry. Don't be afraid, David. Don't be afraid, Hera. Don't be afraid, Bethel. For Jesus is the one that is speaking this. It is if Femi was speaking this, I have no light in myself. But he shines with healing rays in his wings. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.